Welcome to Living With, a podcast about the stories and people behind Health Union. Health Union integrates the power of human connection and technology, uniting people in the shared experiences of life with chronic health conditions. I'm Emily Downward. Dan Glass is one of our advocates on Parkinson'sDisease.net. Dan was diagnosed at the age of 45, and he shares his experiences of what it's like to live with Parkinson's. Thank you for coming. You're welcome. It's really good to be here. It's really nice yeah. to see you in person. Yeah, after being here, part of this for a little over a year now, it's it's nice to actually see the health union building, all the staff that work here. I mean, everybody's been so great so far. So yeah. I'm nothing but happy, and I'm glad to be here and be able to talk to all of you out there who are listening. So thank you. So how did you learn you had Parkinson's disease? Okay, well, the official diagnosis day was November 1st of 2016, but a lot of things had happened before then. The first time that I had a tremor in my finger was in my left hand, and everybody seemed to notice it but me, especially my mom, and I was really hiding it. It was kind of, what is this thing going on? Why is it happening? And I was taking uh, thyroid medicine at the time, Synthroid, and I had read that Synthroid had caused tremors. So it was just, this is what it is. Well, we'll get off the Synthroid and we'll see if that changes anything. Nope. So time passed and you know it was what it was. It wasn't moving that much, but it was moving at a noticeable pace and I was ignoring it because it really didn't matter to me. It was just, it was what it was. I considered it a medication side effect. And these are, you know, Obviously, it's going to come out that this is the dangers of self-diagnosing yourself because you could have been treated all along, but I believe everything happens for a reason. So to get back to the story, in about 2014, I had spent the summer really, really trying to get in shape to go up to Oregon and do some hiking. That didn't happen for a couple of reasons that really aren't important here. But at the time that I was exercising, I started to notice some pain in my left foot which later became the Parkinson's dystonia, Mm -hmm. started to see some of the early uh, formation of hammer toe, where your toes start to curl up like a giant claw. And I didn't know what it was. I just thought that it was my feet were in pain because I was going so hard on the treadmill. I was out, you know, walking trails and I was, you know, going six, seven miles a day walking, which was a lot more than I had ever done. And, you know, doing serious trail, like I said, to get ready. So as that happened, the foot just kept getting a little bit more and more and the hand got a little bit more and more. And slowly things started to move over across to the right hand. And it wasn't really there, but it was kind of there. You know, it was like, am I like overthinking this or is this really here? So in about in 2015, I, early 2015, I had had some medical issues with my back related to spondylosis. And with the spondylosis, they said that this is what is causing your tremor. You definitely don't have Parkinson's. I didn't know what Parkinson's was. I hadn't bothered to look it up. It was just a word that was out there, and it was just something that I could tell my family, nope, the doctor says you definitely don't have this. So with the spondylosis and the pains that were radiating out into my arms and you know, with my back with some of the other issues, you know, they went away and everything was what it was. And as 2016 came in and came to an end, my father-in-law had had surgery for spondylosis, and I thought, hey, if this guy can do that, you know, he's an older gentleman, 
you know, he was in his 70s at the time, was like, I can take some time between semesters of teaching. I can go get my surgery. I can recover it. I can be back in as quick a time as possible, still be able to teach for the spring. So in August of 2016, I started to play the game of what do I need to do to get another MRI for the spondylosis. And they said, you need to go to physical therapy. We need to make sure that we can't make your back pain with the spondylosis better from that. And I went to the physical therapy and the woman who was there looked at me and she's like, you definitely don't have issues from spondylosis. She couldn't tell me what I had because she was not in any kind of position of diagnosing authority, but she was brilliant, she's a great woman. And she went to her doctor and she said, hey, he doesn't have this. So they got me an appointment at a neurologist and I went there on September 27th, 2016. It was an afternoon appointment and my wife and I went in and he asked me, he said, what do you think you have? And I said, I don't know. He said, Parkinson's disease. And at that point, my wife started crying and I just sat there. And it was kind of like a stoic look, I guess, to you know the people in the room. But it was just, I have no idea what this is. I know it's pretty heavy because it's making my wife cry, which is really, really a horrible thing to have to see, you know, the people who love you. And it's kind of like, okay, what, what do we do now? Still doing okay. I had to go in and I had to teach that night. So I took my wife to you know, her car where we had met to go to the hospital. And you know, she, went, she went home and I went to work. And I had about an hour, hour and a half before my class got there and I went online and I looked up Parkinson's on video because the only thing I could think about was Michael J. Fox, who really is by all means the face of Parkinson's. That day I watched a video with him and he was he was slurring and he was shaking and trembling and I just remember thinking, oh crap, you know, and that was kind of the first moment that everything started to hit. Prior to that, I was going to teach my class, I was going to do what I needed to do and, you know, it was like at that moment it was like, I can't do this anymore. So I waited for the class to come in and they were a really, really great bunch of people. It was a really small class, it was about eight people. But at the beginning of the class, I said, you know, I went to the doctor today, I had some really bad medical results and I just can't teach you tonight. And I, I said, I hope you understand. And they all did. And I remember that night, you know, people were very, very empathetic to me. And it was a very, very powerful expression of, you know, how much a little bit of compassion can go. And somewhere along the way, I decided, you know, we're going to, we'll just talk about this, you know, as what is, and that's, that's kind of what we did. We, we spent about five minutes talking about the appointment, and then we watched Dodgeball with Vince Vaughn, you know, because that's what you do after you get diagnosed with Parkinson's. <laughs> you laugh. I mean, you still have to live life. I mean, after the avalanche hits, you have to, you know, still be who you are. And I woke up the next morning, and I looked over at my wife, and I told her, I said, if I'm diagnosed with Parkinson's, I'm going to educate and advocate on it. And that's what I did. And it's helped me grow a lot because of it. And being able to talk to people and be open like I was that first night, by the end of the term, I was able to tell people, I have Parkinson's and be open with it. So until I stopped teaching in uh, spring of 2018, I was very open. It was, 
it was very good to be able to do that, but it was also kind of nerve-wracking as a teacher to, you know, think, I'm up here shaking, are people going to think that I'm nervous to be here? Mm -hmm. Are people going to think that something's going on? As to my neurological capability, but in the back of my mind, I always felt like, you know, there will come a time when this happens, and it's not here yet. But I, I don't teach anymore because of some decisions that I made. Instead, I advise, and I work with a really, really great bunch of people. So to me, the big crap sandwich that is Parkinson's has really taught me how to be a better person, I think. So since we're here in person, I can see some of your tremor. Right. And I'm wondering, is it uncomfortable for you? Like, how does it feel? The tremor is just something that Parkinson's does. I shake because I am Parkinson's. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm still Dan, but you know, I have the Parkinson's, so I say, you know, I shake because I am Parkinson's. The shakes don't really hurt. It's the the hammer toes, because I'm sitting here with you and I'm doing physically nothing. But my feet are in like hammer toe, the curl-up mode. So it feels like my toes are being pulled down at a 90-degree angle, and across the tops there's a little bit of pain. I mean, what is that in the grand scale of things? It's, it's a discomfort, it is what it is. Mm -hmm. There's a lot worse pain that's out there, but my toes being in that dys dystonia mode are a lot worse than the shakes. The shakes don't hurt. Is the, is the dystonia like constant or does it come and go? It comes and goes in levels of degree. Like sometimes it, it works that it you know, really will hurt. Like right now I'm wearing sandals, so it hurts more to wear the sandals. Mm -hmm. If I was wearing my hiking boots, I don't feel it with my hiking boots, so normally I'll wear my hiking boots to work. My wife and I went and hiked McAfee Knob, which was about 1,700 vertical feet from where we went over you know, four miles up, four miles down on the Appalachian Trail in Virginia. It hurts more some days to sit and type on my computer mm -hmm. For my, my, it's because of my toes, the way they are, and they're not squashed in, you know, four straight where they don't hurt, right. than it did to hurt to hike that trail that day, which is really weird when people hear it like that, but, yeah. but it's true. I mean, if you have the dystonia, obviously, and you still can walk, because it's in later stages, it's going to start twisting up the leg and moving things at very weird angles. I've seen a lot of people who talk about the pain they go through with it. But while you can, you know, have a good pair of shoes and hiking boots, I've heard recommended from other people too. They, they're really nice. So. That's great. Yeah. Why do you think it's important for people with Parkinson's disease to have an online community? Having an online community says that I'm not alone. I'm not isolated out here. With an online community, I mean, a lot of the people who are here that you know, write about Parkinson's, I think of Carl Robb, I think he was 22 mm -hmm. when he got diagnosed and you think to yourself, how do you, how do you relate in your, your 20s to people who, the quote unquote uh, stereotypical old timers disease and there are a lot of people with that, you know, where are the other young people that are out there, you know, experiencing this, what are they going through, how are they handling it, what are they, you know, doing to cope with it you know when you get big scary things coming around like deep brain stimulation you want to hear both sides of the story you want to know what you're facing not just well my doctor says I should do this so I should mm -hmm. and I'm not saying you should or shouldn't do that procedure that that's one that's you know 
based on yours or your family's you know values and decisions that you want to make but by having an online community and having people out there to say I've done this I've been through these medications this is what happens you're not alone you're not isolated and the best thing that we can do whether it's finding an online community where we're kind of in our second world you know we have our day-to-day -day lives that we live and then we have our lives that we live within the community you know we have that and it, it brings on a sense of mental health you know there's not enough things that are being done in the world to help people with mental health to feel good about themselves to know that they have meaning in life what are we doing for quality of life how do we step out of I am Parkinson's and I'm Dan and today I'm going to go hiking because that's my hobby and that's one of the things I like doing. Um, I can't do this anymore so what can I do now to find more quality of life and I think of my wife and you know it's like she's given me you know flowers at Longwood Gardens, she's given me musicals, she's given me art, there are things that we change and we do and we have quality of life because of it but what, what's everybody doing to find this quality of life? And I believe that, you know, when you answer your original question, the online communities can help you find that because there's a lot of people out there in need of a voice or a friendly you know, face, even if it never speaks, just to get some kind of response back like, hey, you, you're okay today. Yeah. So I think that's great. And I love what Health Union does with that. And there's so many others, too, that are out there. It's just, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. You've written in some of your articles on parkinsonsdisease.net <clears throat> that one of the top things not to say with someone with a disability is you don't look sick. Yeah, there was a, an article I read last night from a, a London newspaper, uh, and they were talking about how nine out of ten people will confront somebody that they think isn't disabled. And I don't know what it means to be disabled and I don't know what it means, you know, because, you know, I was born with all my abilities. So and that's, I'm not saying that to, you know, brag or whatever, but I have a different experience than people who were born with a condition. And one of the things that happens when you're, you go from everything is hunky-dory to progressive neurological condition that cannot you know, be cured, you know, you're going to have this and the disease is going to spread at some kind of a pace. You don't know how long your timeline is, so you, you live and you're, you're happy with it. But at some point it's going to get worse and you're going to end up like the people in the pictures. So that's a, that's a big matzo ball to, to handle and deal with. So that's, that's one perspective. So, you know, for me, I try to, you know, write to people in that perspective. Yeah, so when we look at people who, you know, are saying these things, like you don't look disabled, what, what does a disabled person look like? You know, what's the, what's the difference between a person who is able and disabled? And obviously we have ways that we, you know, should be trying to treat people, we should be trying to treat them respect, respectively. I don't believe that, you know, we should have to worry about, like, you know, correcting everybody who doesn't understand the secret code who says disabled people instead of person with a disability, because I think most people are genuine in care. But, you know, for those people who are saying things like that and they're out there, you know, trying to enforce the, 
you know, the bathrooms, oh, you're in the disabled bathroom. You shouldn't be there, you don't look like this. You know, I got a friend with uh, ulcerative colitis. Does she look like she has, she's disabled? You know, how, how dare anyone stop her from, you know, having to go and, and use something like that because somebody doesn't think that she ma makes that, you know, cut of what mm. looks like it. So to me, you know, on one hand, you just don't want to say stuff like that to people because anything that's negative is going to hurt them. But on the other hand, I've also said that, you know, I wish more people would say to me, I don't look disabled, which is kind of funny, you know, because when you're putting it into perspective for yourself like that too, and it's different when you say it for yourself, but, you know, it's like, if I don't look disabled, I must be better off than I am, you know? And, you know, as far as symptoms that I notice, I do notice symptoms that I have. I'll notice rigidity. I'll notice my hands clawing up. I'll notice my face being very flat as far as expression goes. So it's like if, you know, somebody says that, well, maybe I am more expressive than I thought I was, you know? Maybe I'm just too hard on myself, but I think about things sometimes in a different way, so, yeah. You've written about how supportive your wife and your family and friends have been. Can mm -hmm. you give me some examples of how people have been supportive that have made a difference to you? My wife has given me the best of everything because she's there for this 24-7. And I can't imagine what it's like for her to watch someone she loves go through pain that she can't take away. I can deal with most of the stuff that I have. You know, there's there's points where the, the mental health, you know, the, the sadness and stuff like that really creeps up that, you know, really sucked. Um, aspiration pneumonia was really, really horrible. But she gets a front row seat to all this and it's kind of, she's always there and she's always supportive and she, she makes me smile. And if I, I didn't have her, I, I don't know what I would do. There really is something to be said in the vows of in sickness and in health that I see her love and that she takes that seriously and you know I, I try to be even better for her. So I mean, to me, being my travel buddy, being someone who can laugh with me, being someone who can hold me, I can I can be stoic most of the time and do all that stuff. But there's times where it's like you just need a hug and you need somebody to to be there and support you. Um, and, and that really is, is her in a nutshell. My family, you know, in the, in the same way, they're, they're supportive. They get this. They're active. We've gone to see Jimmy Choi together. You know, we talk about these issues. And it's hard when you have a kid who is talking about medications and things that are happening. And it's like all this stuff is very big and scary, but you're just talking about it like it's, part of the routine and they've come to know and accept that understand that there was you know nothing they did that made this happen it's it is what it is they've been very supportive of the writing cause and the advocacy and been there for me you know also in sickness and in health if i could name one thing specifically that someone has done for me you know out of all the people who've done things all over the world you know for me that I've met, that I knew along the way, you know, my time in England at Air Force days and stuff. One of my mom's friends, a woman named Linda, she made a prayer shawl for me. And 
It just was something she did because our family meant something to her. And I have that prayer shawl in my room. It's hanging over a chair. And I, you know, I see that and I think about somebody cared enough about me and what was going on with me. Somebody I wouldn't normally, you know, think about who would do something like like that. Took time out of her life to do something creative. And there, there's a power in creativity and bringing things into the world. And we need to bring more things into the world than we do to, you know, destroy things in the world because that's what it's all about. Creativity and love and compassion and being good people for one another. But she took time out of her life to do that. And I, I'm very humbled about that. And it's just, it's something that means a lot to me. What a beautiful gift. Yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for coming down here today. You're and welcome. Sharing thank your you story. for having me. And thank you for being a part of our community. Um, thanks for having me. To read Dan's articles and join the conversation, visit parkinsonsdisease.net. You can find more health communities at health-union.com. Thank you for listening to Living With. I'm Emily Downward.